Welcome to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 35, where I, the host, Darrell Allier, has stated a claim to have eaten more Chick-fil-A than anybody else on this planet in the past 10 years. And if you don't believe it, put your earnest money where your mouth is. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur entrepreneur and you are listening to the before the millions podcast hey this is mark asquith the host of the seven minute mentor podcast global entrepreneur and all-round geek and you are listening to the before the millions podcast i am mc lobster the cash flow ninja and you're listening to before the millions podcast you're listening to the before the millions podcast but whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent you've come to the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast and now your host deray olalaye all truth in that chick-fil-a intro by the way guys and i have the bank statements and the yelp awards to prove it if there are 365 days in a year which i believe that there are on the counts of yelp and my check-ins and i miss check-ins quite often, but one single location, and I probably switch between six or seven locations depending on on if I'm in Houston, but one single location last year, I visited Chick-fil-A 77 times. Again, I've missed plenty of check-ins, I'm sure, as I often go to Chick-fil-A, sad to say, sometimes twice a day. And on some rare occasions, I've been to Chick-fil-A three times <laughs> in one day. I sense some judgment over there, but that's your problem, not mine's. Sorry, got a little sidetracked for an important reason, of course. Welcome back to another installment of the BTM podcast. Now, I say welcome back, but this could be your first time tuning into this podcast. And I'm becoming more and more keenly aware that people just kind of drop in at any point and start listening from there. I know I do that. Like if there's an if there's a podcast that I want, I'm thinking about subscribing to, I'm going to listen to like the last two or three episodes of that podcast and I'm just going to subscribe. Something I'm searching for, a particular answer to a specific question, I may jump around through somebody's podcast and never subscribe. But if it's a good podcast, I'm going to listen to the last two or three episodes and then I'm going to subscribe. And I may even go back even further than that and listen to all the episodes. It just really depends on how many episodes I have and how good the podcast is. But anyways, so if this is your first time tuning into this podcast, I want to welcome you. I need to do a a better job of repeating information on each episode because I just kind of sometimes get caught up in my own little world and I assume that everybody who listens to this podcast has been listening since day one. But that is far from the case. So I'm going to do a much better job of reiterating things and making sure that I'm explaining as best I can and not just going off an assumption that everybody who listens to this podcast has listened to every single episode. So with that being said, this is the Before the Moons podcast and we are here to discuss all things real estate. So, you know, real estate is is a means to an end. Our end is achieving our ultimate lifestyle goal. So that, that's our purpose. And that's what we're here to achieve. And that's what we're here to help others achieve. Uh, the guest on today's episode, Mr. Matt Aitchison, uh, he, he's achieved that. He's a millionaire a couple of times over and he knows the formula for success. At a young age, Matt was looking at seven years being locked up and he found a way to kind of uh, get out of that and turn his life around. So he decided to make a change for the better. He started looking for work. So I look for things to get into and he had a list of things that he wanted to meet his criteria for his ideal job or his ideal lifestyle. He knew that he wanted freedom. He knew that he wanted flexibility. He knew that he wanted to work with people. He knew that he wanted to have an impact in the community and he knew that he wanted to create wealth and not any old job can get you all of these things, if any of these things, but he stumbled upon real estate. And he immediately realized that was that was a, a formidable path for him to create wealth, for him to impact 
the community, for him to, to start working with people, for him to have flexibility and freedom. And he started down his real estate path. He, he became a realtor. He got his real estate license and they started doing $50 million in volume a year. Now, Matt has been in numerous publications. He's talked about all his success on the news and, and in many magazines and on many platforms. But we really get into some actionable advice this episode. We talk about how to win over a realtor that maybe you cold call. I would say that in any market, there's there's a handful of realtors that, that get all the deal flow, that hold all the deals. And if you're privy enough to, to get in good graces with one of these realtors, then you're going to get deal flow. And that means you know, you're going to be able to make offers. And that means you're going to be able to buy investment properties. But building a relationship with a formidable realtor is not as easy as you think. And maybe you already know this through your experiences. Matt is going to walk us through exactly how to win a realtor over. He's going to explain to us how to make a good offer, You know how to win a seller over, how to, how to realize that when you're working with people, it's not about the transaction. It's about the relationships. So Matt is also going to explain to us uh, his belief in the mentor system. He believes that having a mentor is one of the greatest hacks in business and in life, especially for millennials. I've had many mentors. I have many mentors now, some paid, some free, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be going where I'm going if it wasn't for the guidance and the advice of mentors. And now I'm in a position to be able to do my social duty and pay it forward, you know, pay the knowledge forward, pay the the experience forward and help others who are looking to, you know, achieve a certain level of success or freedom or stability in their life. And I did I did I did not grow up with this mentality, but there's no sense in hogging all the all the goodness for yourself. Everybody loses, including yourself. You know, I believe in in the abundance mindset and there's a certain way of thinking in which when somebody gets inside information or when they find success taking a certain route or when they connect with somebody who's humble, who's able to take them to the next level. When people when people have these experiences and come in contact with these people, most people tend to be to guard their knowledge, to guard their connections, to guard their experiences and in fear that somebody else is going to come along and take what they have or in fear that they're going to have to share the, they're going to have to share on the profits or they're going to have to share something, you know, which is going to take away from them. And it's crazy, but the opposite of the abundance mentality is believing there's a, there's a finite amount of resources. And because there's a finite amount, I need to fight for what's mine and not tell anybody else where my resources are or how I'm getting my resources. But that's not the case. Uh, with the abundance mentality, you believe that there's an infinite supply of resources and that the more you pour into others, the more you guys are able to grow longer, faster as a community. You guys are able to grow as a people. You're able to touch the lives of the community. You're able to touch the lives of these people you're, you're working with. And then in, in turn, they're able to touch the lives of their, of their family. And it's a trickle down effect. And I've been fortunate enough to have been mentored. And now I'm paying those fruits forward because that's that's the abundance mentality. You know, that's the reason for this podcast there are many real estate investors who invest in real estate and they show the end result. They show, you know, them living this crazy lifestyle. They show they show the house that they just closed. They show pictures. They show the amount, the amount of money they just made. They show all of the benefits, but they don't explain to you how they got there. They don't explain to you the hard work that was put in. They don't explain to you the shoulders that they had to rub. They don't explain to you the, the books that they had to read. And that's out of fear, quite honestly. That is out of fear. And a person with that mindset, I'm sorry to say, will, will not be successful in the long term. It's just how things work out. You know, if your hands are, are full, you're, you'll never be open to receiving anything. The more you give, the more your basket is replenished because your hands are now free to receive. And it sounds like I'm going a bit biblical and spiritual on you guys, but seriously, you know, it, it's something that has tremendously impacted my life and the life of many other people. So, you know, as far as being mentored by 
some super successful people. I don't take it for granted. And I understand that it's my duty and obligation to pass it forward. This past month, I opened up uh, coaching for the for the first time to the public and opened up eight slots. I have people hitting me up now that weren't able to get in and they're looking to see if I'm going to open up coaching back up, which you know, I'm going to open it up very shortly. Uh, if you're one of the people that's interested in one-on-one coaching, trying to get into your first investment property, trying to create some cash flow income streams apart from your W-2 job, then I definitely suggest that you look into, if not my coaching, anybody else's coaching. You know, you're looking to having a mentor or coach or somebody to guide you through the process because going through the process alone, you can be successful. You will be successful. I have no doubt that that, that success is around the corner, but you, you get to mediate some of the problems that you may have by, by having somebody who's been through the process before. You get to expedite your success because you have somebody who's kind of holding your hand. And uh, I found these things super invaluable, especially when I first started out and I had no idea what I was doing. So anyways, if you're interested in coaching, again, my, my coaching is currently booked up right now, but if you're interested, you can apply to be on my waiting list and I'll personally reach out to you. Once, once coaching is back open. So that's, uh, at before the millions.com slash work with me. That's before the millions.com slash work with me. And apart from that, guys, if you guys have like one off questions, please send us an email at info at before the millions.com. And I don't mind, you know, mentoring. I don't mind helping people out. I don't mind people who have one off questions who are looking for answers to a specific problem they have. So definitely reach out. And if I don't have the answer for you, I guarantee you that I know somebody who does. Again, going back to, you know, passing things forward. And what's equally as important as you sending that email to get your question, your specific question answered is the fact that there may be thousands of other people listening to this podcast that may have the exact same question. And if I'm able to answer your question, not only for you, perhaps through an email, but also for other listeners, perhaps through my newsletter, or maybe even talking about that question on the podcast, which is something I'm going to start doing here shortly. But if I'm able to help you know, a few hundred or a thousand other people, you know, with that exact same question, you've just helped those people with a burning desire. You've just helped those people with the question that they were, they were looking to get the answer for, but they didn't know where to turn. They didn't know that it was a question that even needed to be asked. With that being said, get your questions in. Let's get them answered. I want to hear your real estate questions. I want to hear your investment questions. Let, let's, let's see if we can, if we can build our community, if we can build on top of each other, we can literally lift as we climb. With that being said, ladies and gents, let's get into the show. DeRay's Tip of the Week. The tip of the week this week is super short, short and sweet. And it comes from somebody you may know, a well-known comedian by the name of Jerome Allen Seinfeld. You may know him as Jerry Seinfeld. But he uttered a quote on TV the other day on a Netflix show called Coffee with Comedians. And here's the quote. You don't need to know anything. Everything you need to know, you'll find out when you need to know. Even if you miscalculate and make the wrong decision, you needed to know that. End quote. I love this quote so much because it speaks to the possibility of getting started without having all the lights green. Many of us, we wait till, you know, Till we, we have all our, our T's, our T's crossed and our I's dotted. And we're like, okay, we know every single possible. I'm like that. I'm, I'm uberly like that. I'm, I'm very strategic when it comes to anything. And I like to know all the facts before I jump into anything. But I mean, you can't live life like that. There are certain situations in which strategy sparks some merit, but eventually you're going to have to take action and it's never going to be the perfect time. You can soak up all the knowledge that you want, but at a certain point in time, experience is the best teacher. And you're not going to experience anything unless you get started. And you're not going to get started if you keep creating problems that haven't came up yet. So you don't need to know anything, quite honestly, in anything that you do. For this show more specifically, you don't need to know how to invest in real estate. I mean, truly speaking, you don't need to know how to invest in real estate. As a matter of fact, I believe the person who doesn't know how to invest in real estate and is willing to take the risk as opposed to the person who knows all about real estate investing, but is waiting for the right time, is waiting for the right market, is waiting to to resolve a problem that they've sought out in the distant future that may never even be a problem. Person A 
is going to make a lot more mistakes, but because of those mistakes, person A is going to have experiences that are going to that that that, that person is going to be able to leverage into successes, while person B is going to still be on that couch. So you don't need to know anything. Everything you need to know, you'll figure it out when you need to know it. Even if you miscalculate and make a wrong decision, you probably needed to know that. Hey, who said comedians weren't philosophical? Let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. I'd like to welcome Mr. Matthew Aitchison to the show. Hey, Matthew, how's it going? What's up, man? How you doing? Doing pretty well, doing pretty well. Excited to have you on our podcast today. Excited to kind of get into some, some some material, give our listeners some nuggets to walk away with. But first, Matthew, let's let's dive into your story. Let's learn who you are. Let's take it all the way back. I mean, I know that you, you know you're the founder of the Millionaire Mindcast, the Six Figure Flipper. You've been on Forbes. You've been in, in the Huffington Post. You've been in, in the Wall Street Journal. I can't I can't name enough name enough publications that you've been in. So let's let's take it back. Let's figure out you know how you develop this path that you're on now and and what kind of got you started yeah obviously it's it's not always been this way right it's been a long road of what i call many majestic failures a lot of failing forward really kind of going back i was you know to go back to high school i was a semi good student but hanging and running with the wrong crowd engaging in the wrong activities and i actually got expelled my senior year of high school so that was kind of my first run in of like oh shoot my actions actually have you know consequences and I ended up uh, kind of getting back on, you know, on, on track. Thank, you know, thank goodness for a couple good mentors who spoke some, some wisdom into my life in the time that I needed it, who believed in me in the time I didn't believe in myself. Obviously, speaking to, you know, the power of your, your circle of influence on the positive side and the negative side. And uh, I ended up going and getting into all, all of the colleges that I was uh, getting accepted to, I uh, actually got dropped from. And this last school, UC Santa Barbara, was the one school that I was able to get my expulsion removed from, expunged from my record. And so, by the grace of God, I ended up getting into UC Santa Barbara. And it was, you know, a game changer for me. But before I really got on the path that I've been on, who would have thought lightning strikes twice, right? I actually ended up getting arrested for the same thing that I got expelled from high school for, which was a physical altercation and drugs and alcohol were involved. And I remember waking up in jail out of a blackout, not my proudest moment for sure. And uh, I looked around me and I looked to my left, I looked to my right, I saw one, what my environment was, who my new tribe and my new circle of influence was. And I was like, hell no, this is not the life that I want to live. It's not who I am. And uh, that was kind of what I call my, my oh shit moment where it was like, this is what my future is going to look like unless I do something differently. And the, pa- the powerful, you know, aha there was I had the choice. The power was, you know, within me to, to decide what that looked like. And I always remember, you know, my, having a conversation with my dad and he goes, look, you know, this is your, your, your windshield and your rear view mirror moment. And if all you did was focus on the rear view mirror, you'd lose sight of what's, you know, going on in front of you, what opportunity you have in front of you and you'd crash and burn. And so I chose not to let my past equal my future in that moment and got super into personal development. I mean, I was so scared. I was facing about seven years in prison. And to me, I was so scared of that reality that I completely, the opposite of what that would look like, which was personal development. I edited my peer group, stopped drinking, stopped doing, you know, all the different things that I was doing. And that really led me down a path of finding mentorship, of finding entrepreneurship. And I worked for a guy for about three years, started cold calling for him, working 10 hours a day, going through school, working 40 hours a week. I realized that worked my way up to being kind of his right-hand man. And I realized that I didn't want to work for somebody else, but I got exposed to all of these systems and this mindset and this networking and all the things that entrepreneurship had to offer in this small setting. And I moved back home. I was broke. I had about a bunch of debt credit card debt, a couple hundred bucks in my savings account, moved back in and into my old room, my dad's house. And I was going through Craigslist trying to just think of what I wanted to do and jobs that I was thinking about. And I kept coming across real estate, get your real estate license posts. And for me, I was, you know, starting to do more research and digging into it. And as I kind of made this list of things that I wanted 
you know, this freedom, the flexibility, the you know, ability to be my own boss, the ability to not have a cap on how much money I could make, the ability to work and connect with people and to make an impact in my community and make a difference. It started checking off all these boxes. And then the final box was to create wealth, to actually not chase an income stream, but to actually create something that could free up my time, give me more time back. And in the process of doing that, actually go out and create wealth that I could pass on to my family, to my future children at the time, you know, things like that. And so that led me to getting my real estate license. And I actually ended up working for a guy for free for about 10 months while I was getting my license, while I was studying, doing some things like that. And uh, he was also doing some flipping on the side. And I saw how much money he was making and how little time he was making it. And uh, that was kind of like my first exposure to that whole arena. But I was still kind of plugging away at, oh, I'm going to be a realtor and build a real estate team. Well, I actually did that. And five years later, you know, our real estate team was ranked by Wall Street Journal top 1,000. We were doing over 50 million a year in, in volume of retail sales. I had 10 agents working for me. I had a business partner in that business. But while we were doing that, being able to create that team and create that business, I was still drawn to, to the flipping and real estate investing because I didn't, you know, I was trading time for money. I was an entrepreneur, but I was still essentially, I, I owned a job. I just worked for myself. And so I wanted to try and find something that would allow me to leverage my income into more passive vehicles. And, uh, and flipping was still a vertical income stream that required me to be in the passenger, in the driver's seat every day, but it created enough income in a short amount of time that I could go buy rental properties and things like that. So I built up my flipping business and long story short, I've done about 160 flips in the last uh, five years. Um, I've also built up uh, and been partnered in a construction company and then we have our retail real estate team. So I was able to basically, Hey, if I wanted to make a cash offer on a house, I'd send over the, the projects to our, our construction company. We'd relist them through the real estate team. And so I started seeing all this cross-pollination and the model that I was creating, I kind of just you know modeled after Warren Buffett of having your tree trunk in your hub and creating all these branches off that tree trunk that would cross-collaborate and pollinate business and networking and opportunities and all that kind of stuff. And so that's really where it's led me today. Now I'm fortunate to have a, a great rental portfolio that generates passive income for me. And I get to really do what I'm super passionate about, which is educating and teaching and training other people who want to create that kind of lifestyle, who want to create that kind of income and wealth for themselves and their families through the ecosystem that I've built up. There's a major difference between being rich or getting rich and creating wealth. And I like to give flippers a hard time when it comes to creating wealth, because like you said, flipping is, you know, still in, in essence, trading, trading your time Absolutely. for dollars. But, you know, as a, as a early on realtor and then kind of transitioning to flipping instead of going straight into investing, what was your mindset? Why did you choose to do that? Was it, was it because you were able to accumulate large heaps of cash and then funnel that into investing? What was kind of your thought process back then? It was funny. As I was a realtor, my business partner, one of her strengths, she was this bigger than life personality, real bubbly. And so she was kind of the, the face, right? An outward facing personality. And I was over here building infrastructure and systems. And through a lot of the lead generation efforts that I was doing, I saw that when I was reaching out to homeowners directly, you know, and I was doing it in an investor capacity first, that was really kind of like the head of the snake. It allowed me to go, hey, I'll make you a cash offer on your house. No realtor commissions, no closing costs. We'll buy it as is. We'll close on your time frame. But also, one of the things that I like to do is provide options, right? I don't want you to feel like you're being steered in just this one option, take it or leave it. We like to provide all of our clients that we work with options. And so one of the benefits that you get when working with our company is we'll give you a cash offer with all those terms I just discussed, as well as we also have a top ranked real estate team in the entire country, ranked in Wall Street Journal top 1000. And we'll run you through the entire process of if you want to try and make more money, what that would look like, maybe some of the extra hoops that you'd have to jump through, but how much extra cash you might be able to put in your pocket based on your time, your energy, and what you want to financially gain from this, we can run that option for you as well. Yeah, you're going to have to pay realtor fees. Yeah, you're going to have to do open houses, some other things like that. But then you can compare apples to oranges. Well, on top of that, if you want to maybe know what it's like to try and maximize as much money as you possibly can, one thing we offer to our clients as well is I'll come in, we'll do a free consultation for you, and I'll tell you what I would potentially do to your house 
and what that investment would look like and how much money that would add to your listing price and how much money you might be able to put into your pocket. Well, that gave me the opportunity to either funnel that lead over to my construction company if they wanted to remodel the house themselves. It gave me the option to capture the flip profits. It also gave me the option to get the listing over to our real estate team and get a generic, you know, retail commission from it. So there was all these different options and I was going, man, you know, the, the head of the snake here is, is the investing spot, right? Is to me, put my investor hat on and lead with that conversation first. It's like, I, I'm getting in the house with them, but I'm just coming in the back door, right? We're still having the same conversation, but it's not a, Hey, I'm a realtor. Let me sit down and show you my marketing presentation and show you why we're better than the rest of the people. Right. So it was a, it was a differentiating way and that's what kind of led me into it. And then over time, as we started gaining more traction, I started doing more flips. I really started seeing that I was putting in maybe a fourth of the time that I was putting into my real estate business, into my flipping business, but I was making four times as much money. And so that was kind of when things started shifting. I was going, okay, well, I'm still, you know, I call it the vertical income stream where I have to show up in order for me to get that paycheck. But what it did was I was able to free up more time in that space and make four times as much money, which gave me the opportunity to pivot into other areas like buying rentals, like doing some of the other business ideas that I've done. So that's where the real estate investing, specifically flipping, gave me a lot of options because it allowed me to potentially generate different revenue streams in different buckets of the businesses that I had set up, even though I still had to be the driver in a lot of that things. Over time, one of the things I would say I've, I've been good at is, is creating systems and infrastructure that frees up more time for me so I can go make more money in another area and or just get more time back. So flipping was one of those spaces that I saw myself able to do that. And the opportunities for speaking and networking and you know, building out a lot of other businesses really led with that lead domino of flipping, particularly in my market and in my model. What does a typical flip look like for you? Dude, they're all over the place. So I'm fortunate. I'm in Sacramento, California, and I am pretty centrally located. So like, for example, I just closed on a, on a property in Oakland, California, where the price point is a million bucks. We're putting 200,000 into it. I'm going to sell it for 1.7. I did one in San Jose and Silicon Valley where I bought it for one, put 250 into it and sold it for 1.8. Then I have ones in Sacramento that are, you know, in not necessarily the nicest areas, but they're my base hits, right? That I'll buy for 100,000, put 20 into it, sell it for 165. So I'm kind of all over the place. And that's the nice part about having the teams and the crews is over, you know, the time of having my network in the retail space. I've built up a lot of credibility and relationships in the whole region. So not just Sacramento, I've got realtors all over the Bay, I've got contractors all over the Bay, and I have kind of my hub team here in Sacramento that we can leverage and kind of spread out the ability to, you know, shift into other markets. But I probably, the, the furthest I've ever driven for a deal is, uh, is about three and a half, four hours, which was really long. But I would say in the three hour range, if I get in the car, I can get out there and I can build a team out there. I'll go as far as the deal makes sense. So I usually will stay pretty much in my local region, but I, I go up and down, you know, the, the Northern California kind of Silicon Valley Peninsula all the way up to Sacramento. Do you remember your first flip? Oh yeah. It's funny. I was at a conference the other day and the speaker, he was kind of doing some spiritual woo woo stuff. And so we were going through this exercise and it was the five best days of your life. And you know, the first, first one was like my wedding day, the day my daughter was born, the day that I got, you know, out of jail and got a second chance. And then I think the fourth one was my first flip and the, I forget what the last one was, but looking back on kind of my, my life timeline and what has led me to where I'm at today, it's that very first flip. I had no clue what the hell I was doing. I'd wasted all kinds of, you know, marketing dollars. I'd done pretty much everything wrong that you could do. But I, I was waking up for you know, about a two month stretch every week for a couple days. And I was just tacking up bandit signs all over town. And after, I think it was like, I had tracked 200 and something calls of like, get your ugly ass bandit sign out of our neighborhood, you know, things like that. I got that one call and I got a call from a guy who was in town from Seattle, moving his mom out of the house. She was a hoarder. She had some medical conditions and also some financial hardship that she was dealing with. And I mean, the house was horrible. It smelled like cat pee. We walked in there, trash everywhere, boxes to the ceiling. You would be just blown away by how poor the condition was and you just felt horrible for her. And we found actually 
like seven dead cats in the house when we moved out all the trash. She had so many stray cats coming in and out. She had no clue which cats were missing, which cats were there. So that gives you a quick little idea of how bad the house was. But I ended up going over there and uh, being a newbie and a novice, you know, I was just excited, like this first opportunity. And the guy kind of told me the story. I built rapport and started crunching some numbers. And I ended up lowballing way more than I probably should have. And I didn't know any better at the time. I was still learning how to underwrite deals on what's a good offer price. You know, what are my construction numbers? What's this ARV actually make sense for? And uh, so I offered 75,000 on the house. He didn't counter me. He took it. I ended up putting 20, about $28,000 into the house and I sold it for 224,000. So I netted over six figures on my very first flip. And I was like, you know what? I think I like this flipping game. <laughs> and so that's kind of, that's what was the, the, snow, the, the beginning of the snowball it was like all of that hard work, all those struggles, all those failures, all that, the, the marketing dollars and money that I wasted, everything was like pushing that snowball up the hill. And that first deal was the snowball effect that led me into the second, third, and I ended up doing eight that year after that. And then on to 20, on to 40, on to 49. Then this last year, the last two years, I did 34. And this last year, I actually scaled down and did about 20, excuse me, 25, because I've been really focusing more on the educational side of things and scaling out more passive income opportunities for myself. Uh, but that first flip, man, was a game changer. And, and that's, I think everybody can relate to that going back on whether it's a flip or an investment opportunity or the stock market or whatever it may be, we all have that one investment where you're like, man, that, that was amazing. That, that kicked me off. And the first deal is always the hardest one, right? Because it's, it's not necessarily the challenge of you know, getting the deal, which sometimes it can be, but it's more the psychological game of like, can I do this? You know, I don't know what I don't know. What if I make a mistake? All these fears and limiting beliefs that we have, or I call them the drunk monkey, you know, that little, little voice chirping on the, on the side of your shoulder. And for me, I had so many of those things in that first deal. You learn so much. It's like drinking through a fire hose and looking back, you know, that was, that was one of the greatest days of my life. I love that. And Matt, you were, you were in real estate for quite a while before that. So you had some, some real estate education, some real estate experience. You were a realtor. How, how many years were you a realtor for? After I was a realtor for about... 16 months before okay. I found that first deal. Almost a year and a half. So let, let's speak to the you know, corporate American employee who, who's maybe in the finance or accounting niche and, and doesn't really have much real estate experience, but they're looking to get into their first flip and they, they run into a situation similar to yours in which they want to buy a property which is in a similar condition. And you know, what, are, what are some of the things that they need to look at to, to make an offer? You know, are they, are, were you, or what are some of the things that you looked at? Were you looking at comps in the area? Were you looking at, did you have somebody come out and give you a quote for construction costs or did you yep. kind of already know those things because of your, your experience in real estate? You, you know, I, I knew enough to get myself in trouble, but here, here's one of the biggest mistakes that I made early on that looking back, I would do completely differently. And I tell new people to do differently as well was find a mentor. I mean, the, the mentor aspect of it was when I found a mentor, man, it was like the greatest business and life hack that I'd ever come across. It was somebody that already, you know, I always joke around of like, you know, a mentor is like someone who's already driving a Ferrari and you get to jump in that Ferrari with them and sit co-pilot, right? Versus you having to go out and build your own Ferrari, which you may not even know how to build the Ferrari. So the mentorship was a, a great way for me to shorten my learning curve, to avoid mistakes that I would potentially make otherwise without their knowledge, to be able to tap into their network, their systems, their marketing strategies, all that. So I always preface, if you're new and you're getting into a new space, the best way to one, succeed faster and two, avoid mistakes that you might make otherwise is find somebody who's already got what you, what you want, right? And if you have to cut them in on the deal, so be it. It's like, you know, the, the old saying of, you know, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man a fish, feed him for a lifetime. Well, that's kind of what that was where I got, yeah, I gave up, you know, early on parts of certain deals, but it was what allowed me to accelerate a lot faster and to really make more money in the long term. And now obviously I'm not partnered with anybody. I do all my own deals by myself, but that was the first start. But if you're looking to get into the space the, the things that you really need to know is one, first and foremost, how to find the deals, right? Without deals and knowing that they're deals, you don't have a business. You don't have an opportunity to profit and actually get that momentum and get things off the ground. And when you hear people say, you know, oh, real estate investing sucks or da, 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 da. Well, it's probably because they had a really bad experience that first time and made a mistake that either crippled them or left a bad taste in their mouth and they just don't want to come back to it. So be careful who you get your advice from. And the one thing that I can say that will serve you really well is one, 
keeping a pulse on your market and really knowing your statistics so you can feel like you're making an educated decision and two, knowing how to underwrite and analyze deals in order to make sure they're actually deals. So how do you do that? Well, first and foremost, if you're looking at a property, you're going to go do a walkthrough, right? So, you know, have a repair walkthrough sheet where we literally will write down everything that we can see from the naked eye, what's wrong with this house, right? And then what we'll do is after we go back, we will, and usually we'll have the comps with us before going out on the property where we'll say, hey, this is the neighborhood the property's in. This is the bedrooms, bathrooms, square footage, condition, lot size, all of that kind of stuff that are similar to the subject property. So you want to pull similar properties to whatever property that you're looking for. But I want to pull properties that are selling for the top, top dollar. I want to know who's setting the bar, what kind of condition they're in, what kind of materials they're using in the kitchens and the bathrooms, what's the you know, curb appeal in the landscape look like, what does, you know, everything. So that way we know, okay, this is what we're modeling after. How do you find out that information? So MLS, right? And if you don't have access to the MLS, you can always find a realtor and reach out to a realtor and just say, hey, I'm a local real estate investor. And, and here's the thing. Don't tell them how new you are. Don't, don't just, just tell them I'm a local real estate investor, have confidence, go in there and say, I'm a local real estate investor. Here's what I'm looking for. And I have a property that I am currently, you know, either looking at and I want to know the comps. I would be happy to let you list the property for me in exchange for some help and knowing that I'm aligning myself with the best realtor in this area, right? Something like that. Pump their, give them a little stroke of the ego and they're going to be excited to help you to be honest. So when you get those comps, then you know exactly what the highest comp of the neighborhood is. So that's what you're going to model after, right? Okay. If I do this to this house, I can sell it in this condition. When you walk through the house and you're starting to take all the notes, it's what do I need to do to this house based on its current condition to get it like that house that is selling for top dollar. So that's what we do is we go through, we map out just through the repair walkthrough sheet, everything that we can see. And then what we do is we generate a scope of work. I would recommend if you're new to have a contractor on site with you and have those comps on site with you. And so you go, okay, well, this kitchen needs to be completely redone. So we need cabinets and we need hardware, we need appliances and we need a new sink. We need granite and backsplash and new lights and whatever, right? But having the contractor on site with you, you guys can create a scope of work together, model it after the comps. And then through that scope of work, you're going to have essentially a bid, right? They're going to bid out the work for you in order to do this and get it in that condition, I'm going to have to charge you this much. Okay, great. So then you can get a better idea of here's my after repair value, the highest comp of what we're going to model after. Here is my rehab budget. And this is how much we're going to have to spend in order to sell it for that much. And then based on how much you want to profit from that, you can reverse engineer either an ROI return on investment or whatever you just want to make a specific, you know, lump sum amount of money and go, okay, this is how much we can offer. And we use spreadsheets. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, not the strongest, fastest, whatever, right? But I have tools, resources, and people around me who are, and that gives me the ability to have confidence in my underwriting and go, this is a deal. And this will tell you how much we can offer. So really quick rule of thumb is just a max allowable offer formula. I'm sure many people have heard of this, but it's a great way to kind of just quick and dirty do an analysis on a property. So it's always going to be your after repair value times usually 0 0.7, 0 0.6 if you really want a big discount. You know, if you have a little bit more room to say, hey, I just want a little base hit here, maybe you do 0 0.8, but that's, you know, the, the margin of the discount that you're going to take on the after repair value, right? And then you'll subtract your rehab numbers and that gives you your max allowable offer. So if it's a $100,000 house that you know you can sell it for afterwards and you do 0 0.7, you got 70,000 and you know maybe it's going to be 25,000 in repairs, then you have the ability to go, okay, that's, this is my max allowable offer after running all those numbers. So that can give you, you know, a little bit more confidence when you're going through these things, but know your numbers, know your market, and obviously make sure that you're aligning yourself with a good team because having extra eyes on what you're doing, they want to see you win. So what they win too, you're going to come back and list more houses with them. You're going to do more construction projects with them. So having a rockstar team around you is super key and ask me how I know because I've made all those mistakes and not had rock star people around me. And, and that's part of the learning curve. But a mentor will help you avoid a lot of those mistakes. That was so much value, Matthew. When you're looking to buy or, or flip your first investment and you're looking for these investments, what you're going to do is you're going to gather comps. Once you gather these comps, you're going to take a, take a walk around or take a tour around the property and figure out how you can get 
your said property up to the value of the uh, of the comps and how much it's going to take you to get there. Once you figure that out, you need to figure out uh, your dollar amount, how much you want to make, or maybe a percentage. Say you you know you multiply by 0.6 the value of, of your comp. Well, then you know the max allowable offer. So you'll take the after repair value times your percentage of discount that you want, subtract the estimated repairs from that, and what's left over is your max allowable offer. If you have a $100,000 house, 70, and it's, you know, it's going to be 70,000 of the after repair value, right? The 0.7 minus, let's say, 20,000 repairs, your max allowable offer is going to be 50,000. Okay. Okay. Makes perfect sense. So let's, let, let's, let's kind of talk about one thing that you touched on. So as, as you're approaching a seller, you know, you talk about approaching a seller with, with an investor hat rather than a, rather than a, a flip or a realtor hat. Kind of, kind of walk us through that, that, that thought process and what you mean by that. Yeah. So when you're approaching a seller, actually you want to have your investor hat on, but you're negotiating and your rapport building, you want to have your human being hat on essentially, right? Because most of these people who are going to be selling their property for a discount are going to be in some kind of financially distressed situation, some kind of medically distressed situation, some kind of situation that has motivated them to go, I'm willing to sell my house for a discount to you in order to relieve the stress, the medical hardship, the financial hardship, whatever it may be. So you have to understand that the people who are usually selling these houses are in some kind of emotional situation. And that's where you have to go, even though for us as an investor, right? And I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this podcast were astute to the numbers, right? So it's black and white. It makes sense or it doesn't. Well, when you're talking to homeowners, it's not black and white. It's gray, rainbow, all kinds of different colors because for them, this is their livelihood. This is, you know, this is their future. For us, this is just another investment. So when you're building and negotiating with these people, you know, you really have to, to, to tap into your heart and get out of your head a little bit and, and really understand first and foremost, what is their motivation? If they want to downsize and move across the country to go be, you know, close to their grandkids, then that's what I narrow in on. And that's what I constantly go back to. If it's to get this monkey off their back so they can breathe and sleep well at night and quit stressing about the financial burden that this is, you know, causing them every single month, then that's what I go back to. So I always have to uncover their motivation. And how do you do that? It's through quality questions. And, and a lot of people just want to talk and tell their value and tell how their services and da, 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 da. And that's not the way to negotiate. The way to negotiate is to ask high quality questions and then listen. Stop and listen. And based on their responses, you're going to get cues that you can go, okay, I need to make sure I, I circle back to that point with them. Okay. That's important to them. I need to make sure I deliver on that, right? And so that will help you identify what terms, what timing, you know, what offer price would actually make sense for that person. But just some quick, you know, rapport building tactics is when you go in there, there is a very, very, very underrated approach to being likable. And, you know, and that's something that I have always used as, you know, one of my superpowers is going, whether I get this deal or not, it's important for me to make sure that my interaction with this person and the value I add to this person is something that I can, I can call what I, the swan effect, sleep well at night and feel good about how I interacted and how I negotiated with them. And I can tell you, I, there's deals that I haven't necessarily gotten their house, but they refer me to their cousin or I buy their aunt Sally's house or they call me 10 months later and they're like, you know what? I want to work with you because of how you handled yourself. So never underestimate being likable, but how you can build some rapport with these people is when I walk in and I see, you know, pictures of kids on the wall, I start talking about my two daughters. If they're, you know, got a San Francisco 49ers, you know, Jersey hanging out there. I love football. You know, I start talking about sports and football. If they offer you something, do you want water? Or do you want to sit down? Absolutely. Right. Taking people up on those things. So they feel like they're more connected to you. If you have the opportunity to sit across the table versus next to them, I'm going to sit right next to them. If I can give them a hug, I'm going to give them a hug. So there's these little things that sometimes necessarily aren't quantified on paper and yet they add up to making a difference. And when we ask and we interview some of the people that we've worked with and done business with, it's those little tiny things that sometimes, I mean, there was a woman, she was willing to take an extra a less $20,000 from the next guy and another offer because of how I made her feel. And you can't, those are things that, you know, you just cannot quantify on paper. So uh, building rapport, uncovering motivation and delivering on that. Most importantly, your word is your bond in this game. So, you know, there's a lot of people that will do slimy, non-integrity based, unethical things. And I can tell you those people, usually the majority of those people don't 
they get exposed and they don't last in this space. So if you really want to win long-term, do the right thing, do right by the client and make sure that obviously by doing all of your due diligence and performing the right way, you got all your ducks in a row. So when that first domino is, you know, knocked over, everything else hits, they have great experience and, 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 and it really pays off when you are treating these people like human beings versus treating them like a transaction. You know, that makes a lot of sense because it, it's going to be the people who can connect on a, on a, on an emotional basis. You know, that's a basic human need, you know, yep. is, is to be able to connect. And when you're able to do that, you see past the transaction, you know, you see this person as, as an ally, you know, how can we both get to a, a common goal? You know, you're, you're looking to sell your property. I'm looking to buy your property. I'm looking to possibly, you know, alleviate one of your stressors or, or a problem in your life. And at the same time, you know, it's a win for me. So I love that, you know, you're not looking at this as a transaction, but more so as a relationship. And I think that's the, that's the best way to go forward. Now, one thing you did touch on, Matthew, you touched on the, the, the concept of a mentor. And I want to talk about maybe your first mentor and how to go about getting a mentor. You know, it's interesting. Mentor is like the sexy word right now, right? And, and I believe it really is one of the greatest life and business hacks out there, especially for millennials, you know, and, and really for anybody, but for the younger generations to be able to tap into the wisdom and the experiences and, and all, everything that we now have available at our fingertips, we're very lucky. I mean, this is very, very lucky. And, you know, my parents, unless you were in a, you know, in a boardroom or you're paying twenty, thirty, hundred thousand dollars to be in some of these crazy masterminds, you didn't get included in these conversations. And I do believe that we grow into the conversations around us, whether it's positive and or negative. You know, if you hang around nine other badass real estate investors, you're probably going to become the tenth. You hang around nine other negative individuals who gossip and complain about their life and how there's no opportunity out there, you're probably going to become the tenth of one of those two. So mentorship, I think, is just so critical nowadays. And to take advantage of it, you don't, there isn't some like formal agreement where you shake hands and you sign a piece of paper and say, okay, hey, Dre, you my, you, you my mentor now? Like, all right, cool. Yeah, I'm going to mentor you. You know, like if it's a coaching relationship, then sure. Like, for example, my six-figure flipper program, I have a lot of people in the community who would consider me a mentor and I have a lot of people one-on-one -on -one that I work with on a consistent basis that I'm coaching with and I'm invested, you know, day-to-day -day in their business and month-to-month -month in their business where the others, I'm just a mentor. They use my videos or they use my systems, my checklist, my framework, my marketing materials, all that kind of stuff. But I'm not necessarily involved in their business every day, but they're still learning from me, right? So that can be considered a mentor. You can have virtual mentors. It can be a podcast. Like you're a mentor to a lot of people, Dre. There's a lot of people who listen to you every day and when they make come across, you know, something in their business or their life and all of a sudden you pop into their head because of something you said or one of your guests said, that's called mentorship. It's to be able to pull something off the shelf and utilize it in a way that serves you. So I look at, you know, mentors, my very first mentor probably didn't even know they were my mentor, but it's because of what I learned from them and what I was able to apply from them that really made it a big impact on my life. Then there's a little bit more of the formal mentorship where there was a woman who was flipping about 200 houses a year. And after I did that first flip, there was kind of a little buzz of like, hey, there's this young dude who's starting to flip houses and he's doing some wholesaling to people. And this was back in 2012 when they were, you know, foreclosures were everywhere. And so they were flipping like 250 houses a year and they were trying to find as many deals as possible and say they're looking for bird doggers and people that could give them opportunity. And so I was able to get in her network and then I was able to find out how I could add value to her in exchange for her friendship for her wisdom, for her mentorship, for being in their world and being able to pick and pull some of that stuff. So you can have virtual mentors, you can have paid mentors, you can have just formal mentors that are local in your market that you can get together for coffee once a month or mastermind or be held accountable to. But mentorship in my, in my belief is, is still one of the greatest things that serves me you know, I always wanted to have a quote, you know, you know, how people like have their quotes and on the, on a picture and their name next to it. And I was like, man, I want to quote one day. One of the things that I came up with, I, I said this randomly at a, at an event I was speaking at. And one of the guys who was hosting was like, that's your quote, dude. He was like, I, I just said, I'm a student of life and I'm always looking for my next teacher. So whether that is my marketing guy, who's 21 years old, he teaches me something new every single day, or it's, you know, the top CEO in my town who is, you know, running a $50 million company. I know that I can learn something from everybody every single day, but it has to be my choice one to do that. And two, it has to be my intention to go out and figure out what it is. People aren't just going to like open up their life, their, their wisdom, their experiences, their knowledge to you and go here, take all this. 
It's up to you to go seek it and find it and to deliver when that person shows up and reciprocate. Because if you think about it, I've had a lot of mentors and, you know, people want to help people, but they want to help people that want to help themselves. There's a lot of people that just ask and don't do anything with it. And that's where a lot of people get disenchanted with mentorship and giving back and things like that. So you got to want to not only want to seek it, but you got to want to apply it and you got to want to be your own best success story. You got to want to be able to show these people that you're worth the investment, you're worth the time. And when that happened, when I started being my own best success story and you know, my audio of like, oh, I'm going to do this. And of course, I'm going to take that and apply it. When it, my audio matched my video and how my life was actually playing out, my life, the actions, the results, everything that I was getting, people were like, I like that guy. I want to I go, go connect with him more. I want to invite him into the conversation. Hey, come to this event with me or come to this opportunity or whatever it may be. So you got to seek it. You got to apply it too. And mentorship will serve you at a really high level. And it will always, I will always be a student of life and, and continue to look for more mentors. I love that. And as we, as we continue to look for mentors, we, we pass that forward and we, we look to mentor others. And that's what you're doing now, Matt. So let, let's fast forward through your story and let, let, let's talk about present day. You know, let's talk about Six Figure Flipper and, and some of the, the coaching and mentoring that you're doing and how, how you started, how you even got into the teaching space and, and, and why you love it so much. I'm 29. And when I was 22, 23, it was all about the grind. It was like, how much money can I make? How much, you know, how much can I accumulate? And then I became a millionaire. And then I started generating more money. I was like, well, I don't feel any different. My wife doesn't think I'm any cooler. My kids don't think I'm any cooler. My, all the people that I love and care about don't think I'm any cooler. And for me, it was all about, it shifted from this place of like being rich would make me significant to being wealthy, to be of service and to really give back. And the more wealth that I can create and generate, I feel it gives me more options and more opportunity to go out and make a difference in other people's lives. And I have found a true passion for that. Um, it's always been a passion to be able to give back and share, but it was still like a little bit of like, hey, look at me. I need a little affirmation. I need a little validation over here. Now it's more about when I serve people at the highest level, I get all of that and then some, but most importantly, the lead domino for that is to make a difference in their lives and their kids' lives and their wives and husbands' lives and their business and their family, their future. So to make a, obviously make a difference in, in my children's life and to make a difference, you know, I want my legacy to be of, hey, that guy added value to me and I'm better because of it. And if wealth building through real estate investing can be that one vehicle that I have expertise in and a lot of authority in, then that's what I'm going to leverage first as kind of my lead domino to give myself that opportunity to make the biggest impact while I'm here. And so that's what I'm doing, man. I'm, I'm going around the country and, and speaking. I'm, you know, got the course and we got hundreds of students all around the country. We got a few out of the country and just continue to expand that reach and that, that, that footprint for making a difference for other people and real estate happens to be that vehicle, I believe has one of the greatest powers and, and opportunities to do so in. Love it. Really quick. What's in your course? What course, what are you teaching? It's all about, it's all about flipping houses. So, I mean, it's literally everything from start to finish in regards to the models, you know, how to build your team, how to find the deals, all the different lead generation and marketing strategies, how to underwrite them, how to fund these deals with none of your own money. Cause that's one of the things that I do is all of my flips, I have zero of my own money in. So I, I use somebody to fund the first, I use somebody to fund the second, essentially the down payment, the gap that I need to fund. And then I take all the profits and I don't have any partners on my deals, things like that. So um, we talk a lot about that. And obviously there's a lot of different ways you can fund properties, then how to offer and negotiate at a high level. Most importantly, you know, one of the big mistakes a lot of people make is in the construction process. So how to run your rehab projects like the pros do and how to streamline that process. And really it's just systems and checklists. It's, it's nothing crazy, right? And, and how to do that, you got to obviously have clarity in what you're doing, put a plan in place, execute on the plan and hold the people in the plan accountable to doing what they need to do. And then um, how to market, you know, that's one thing we figured out how to do really well when we were selling, you know, 50, 60 million dollars a year in, in real estate volume on the retail side was how do we market these properties for top dollar, separate ourselves from the competition, and then how to scale your business, how to, you know, essentially get more of your time back and through people create more, more opportunity for them and free up more of your time so you can go out and buy rentals or do some of these other passive income type opportunities. And so that's what we talk a lot about the course, but 
we got uh, all kinds of different bonuses and freebies and you know there's a podcast inside there we have six and seven figure investors coming in and speaking into the group privately stuff like that so if anybody wants to check it out um, they can always go to the number six figureflipper.com and there's more information there and i'm happy to answer any questions too lifestyle design acceleration hacks what is your favorite before the millions book for me there's really two books one was it's actually sitting right here the alchemist paulo coelho it's a parable i'm not into parables at all this book changed my life and just the, the way I thought, the way I felt about myself, the way I looked at the journey and the, the approach to everything, the mountain that I was climbing essentially. So great book is in The Alchemist, more of a, an X's and O's type book that has transformed my business that I coached and trained and used the framework a lot is Attraction and phenomenal book if you want to figure out how to get clarity in what you're doing, create an action plan for it, and how to hold yourself accountable and execute on that time and time again. Traction, amazing book. Few guests have mentioned the book Traction now, so I think I'm gonna add that to my book list. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. So for me, you know, I we all live on our phones nowadays, right? For me, definitely when I'm traveling, being that I do a lot of travel, it's an app called TripIt. That just gives me the ability to keep my travel in one place and to share. But I'll be honest, for me, it's Google Calendar. I run my life out of Google Calendar. And that's something that I've been really intentional about trying to find, fine tune and tweak. And so I really have different time block days and or, you know, sprints or sessions throughout the days color coded. And so for me, it gives me the opportunity to share it with my wife. It gives me the opportunity to share it with my assistant. It gives me the opportunity to share it with anybody that I need to share it with. So without really my Google calendar, I always say if it's not my calendar, it doesn't exist. And so that's where I really keep all of my appointments, my schedules, and just keep myself on track. Love that. And I'm the same way. Google calendars is, is my favorite as well. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Yeah, you know, a lot, right? There's a lot of sacrifices. If you want to live a, an extraordinary life, you got to do the extraordinary things. And that's breaking away from the ordinary. And that can be hard sometimes. And probably the hardest one for me was to editing my peer group. A lot of my boys and homies and all the guys that I used to, you know, get into trouble with and do fun things with and all the guys that I loved and still do love. I had to set a new standard for my life and go in a different direction and say, hey, I still love you. I still respect you. I still want you to know I support you, but these are my goals. This is where I'm going. This is the life I want to live. And just know that I got some, I got an empty seat in co-pilot. I got a whole bus load back there that anybody that wants to jump on this bus with me, you're more than welcome to. But if not, and you want to keep doing whatever you're doing, know that I still love, respect, and honor you, but I just, I'm not going to be participating in that anymore. And that was a, that was a tough thing to build up that new discipline in sacrificing time with friends and people that I've done a lot of things with and, you know, had a lot of experiences and memories with. And I can tell you when I made that decision as hard as it was looking back, hands down, one of the best things that set me on a new course of life. And a lot, when you say no to things and you let go of things, it creates more room to say yes and opens up opportunities for new things and new people. And so editing my peer group was probably, if I were to narrow down one, the hardest sacrifice I had to make when I was, you know, 21 years old, 20, yeah, 20 years old. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? Oh man, so many things. I would say now that I have three and a half year old and a five and a half month year old, the way my life is designed is, is, is time freedom. And so if I want to go home and spend time with them. Yesterday, my wife was sick, so I left office early. I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. And so what I love about the way my lifestyle is designed is there's a thing on my mirror that says, only do the things you love doing today. And in the early season and stages of my life, it was a grind. There was a lot of stuff. And don't get me wrong, there still are a lot of things that I do every day or have to do every day that I don't necessarily love. But if I ultimately wanted to make that choice, I could say, I'm not doing anything that I don't love doing today, this week, this month, for the rest of the year. And so to me, that is, that's an amazing milestone and freedom to be able to know and say and tell yourself and act as if you don't want to do anything that you don't want to do that you don't love doing, then don't do it. And for me, that's a, that's a great goal and accomplishment in my life. 
I love that. And I don't know if you've heard this one, but one day uh, Seth Godin was at, uh, he was on vacation. A vacationer walked up to him and was like, you know, he was, uh, I think he was like on his computer or he was working. He was, uh, the vacationer was like, you know, why? it's a shame that you feel like you have to work on vacation. And then Seth Godin just, you know, kind of turned around and, and smirked and he was like, it's a shame that you feel like you have to take a vacation from from your life. And, you know, it's it's a big, you know, to me, that's like a big yeah. awakening. I mean, it's like a big, like, ding dong, like, hold on. You know, let me put actually what I love to do in perspective and, and figure out that if I can do what I love, you know, for work, I'm never really working. And I think that's an amazing mindset to have. It's, that is such a great point because people often, if you're an entrepreneur, if you are a business owner, you know that there is no work in life. It's together. Like I take my work home with me. I sleep, you know, wake up thinking about work and I go to sleep thinking about work. But at the end of the day, my lifestyle, my family, my kids, my friends, my travel, everything else is woven into that too. And that's called life by design. And so if you can get to that stage where you can go, Hey, if I'm working on vacation, but I'm traveling, I'm doing this, I'm loving that, I'm feeling good. That's that's ultimate freedom is to to have this congruent lifestyle where everything flows together. That's what I call on my show, being a whole life millionaire is when all the pillars of your life are operating at such a high level that they mesh together that it just feels like one thing instead of you going, I need a little balance in my life. I need to get away from this. Or I need to do that, which we all do. But to be able to say that those all cohesively have synergy and work together in one, that, that's awesome. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? I would look back on, there's a lot of people that have poured into me and believed in me when I didn't believe in myself and given me opportunities when maybe I didn't deserve them. And I would say, you know, the one person that sticks out, it really, I, it's, it's hard to say, but the two people is both my mom and my dad. Both my parents are divorced, but they've, they've always, you know, been supportive of me in the dark times mostly, right? It is, uh, it's great to get the pat on the back when you're doing great. But when you're, when you're in a deep, dark cave and it doesn't seem like there's any light shining in there and someone else hands you a flashlight, those are the those are the times that I needed it the most, and and I'm grateful for those opportunities. It's not the the mentorship or you know the the aha I had in a business breakthrough or a mastermind or an event. It's it's been the people that internally have poured into me in a way. Now looking back, I didn't know at the time has been priceless. Why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? Well, there's a few things. I mean, at the end of the day, there's the external and there's the internal. So if we're going to talk about the external real fast, it's going to be your environment. It's going to be your environment and your tribe. And like I said, if you're if you're hanging around, whether it's your mom, whether it's your grandma, whether it's your best friend, whoever it is, if you don't have the standard in your life and uphold that standard, then you're never going to break beyond and get through to where you want to go. And so hanging around negative people, hanging around gossipy people, hanging around pessimistic or scarcity based people, people who, you know, complain or, 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 or just don't have that abundance based mentality. You're just, you're going to be forced to adopt it subconsciously. It's going to be spoken into your mind. You're going to adopt it and it's going to show up in how you take action in your life. And obviously the results you get. So whether that is your you're, you know, drinking, you're smoking, you're poor eating, you're hanging around people, your physical environment plays such a big role in how it internally impacts you. But at the end of the day, it's all about, you know, it's, it's, it's the mindset, right? It's always the internal game. And so I think that the, there's so many people, I look at my brain like a filing cabinet and I've had years upon years upon years upon years before I really worked on my mind and took inventory of what was in that filing cabinet of just negative crap, track upon track of things that did not serve me and that I told myself stories, lies, whatever society wanted me to be or to fall into this mold or that mold. And so I think we all have to take inventory of what's in our filing cabinet and most people's filing cabinets is filled with crap. And when that experience comes up or a chat or conversation or whatever opportunity, whatever your filing cabinet has in there in that moment, it's going to file up and go, boom, this is, this is the kind of life that you're going to get. This is how you think about this, how you feel about it. Therefore, you're going to act a certain way and it's going to get you a specific result. And based on that result, it's going to reaffirm a new file that's going to go in there. And if you don't catch yourself on what those files are, and you don't take inventory on those files are the beauty is that you can change what's in the filing cabinet. 
but most people never get to the point of actually taking inventory, knowing what's in there, and therefore they just stay on that same track over and over again, and it feels like they're stuck. And oftentimes that shows up in the form of fear, inaction, procrastination, all these different things. It's uh, your physical environment obviously plays big into your internal environment and your internal game. And, you know, with those two things, I think a lot of people just are unable to get out of their own way. And those 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 play a big part in it. Matthew, this has been an amazing interview. I want to thank you so much for your time on the show. You know, we've kind of delved into your life. We've learned about your Before the Million story, which is amazing. You've given us so many actionable tips and advice. We've talked about, you know, the, the, the value of a mentor. We've talked about, you know, how to get into your first flip and how to treat a relationship with the seller. If people want to reach out to you, if they want to get to know know you a little bit more or, or ask you a few questions, uh, give links to, to some of your, your resources and, and have our listeners can connect with you from there. Yep. I would say I play mainly on Instagram and Facebook. My Instagram handle is uh, just Matt Aitchison Media, which I, I know you'll have the, the handle on that. Most people can't spell that even if I paid them to. And then we got same thing, Facebook forward slash Matty Aitchison. You want to check out my website, mattaitchison.com. I got a bunch of freebies, real estate investing downloads, cool stuff there. Uh, if you want to know more about the, the six or your flipping course and the community and all the other stuff that goes along with that as well, uh, you can check out the number six figureflipper.com and I always respond and, and I'm available on those platforms. Love it. Love it. Love it. We'll talk to you soon. My brother. Appreciate it.